0: Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek Infoworld, May 13th, 1985 What Comes Together Falls Apart By Kevin Strelo Andy Hertzfeld has lost his driver's license and needs a ride to the TV studio. MFR has no evidence to back up Mr. Strello's claim, except for the photo of Andy sitting atop his BMW on page 79 of Revolution in the Valley, license plate MacWiz. Other Macintosh team members have lost their licenses, including Steve Jobs. In some odd way, it illustrates what you need to make the team, a desire to push the limit. But Hertzfeld is no longer part of the team. Hertzfeld welcomes his ride to the cottage where he works now. Macintosh screens shine through the greenhouse window and across the overgrown yard long into the night. With a quick goodbye to a figure hunched over a Mac, Hertzfeld and his ride leave Hertzfeld's shabby but friendly retreat. Burl Smith owns the house next door, Hertzfeld says. Smith is the odd little man responsible for the Mac's electronic haiku whose poetry expressed the complexity of a hundred chips in a few logic arrays. Smith's house is a beautiful post-Victorian. He's done a lot of work on it, Hertzfeld says, but it looks empty. I love him, but Smith has a problem. He hates people. Smith doesn't work at Apple anymore, either. This all seems very strange. Smith was charming in the heady days just prior to the Mac's release. He'd love to talk about what a great place Apple was to work. What happened? On the drive to the studio, Hertzfeld explains that it's not so strange. Apple's heady days are over. It's not lack of money that's making us leave. Apple paid us as though we were baseball players, he says. It's the change in atmosphere. The synergism of a small team has been replaced by the bureaucracy of a commander and his army of engineers. Guys who don't like being told what to do and how to do it by someone who's not as smart as they are have left. Apple was happy to assign Hertzfeld one last task, switcher, but only after he had created a working prototype and the risk was gone. Everyone was excited about the program, especially Hertzfeld, because it would make the 512K Macintosh more useful and help spread the Mac gospel, which Hertzfeld hadn't lost faith in despite leaving the church. Someone without a religion, a practical engineering manager, for example, wouldn't have touched such a clearly difficult, perhaps impossible project. But Hertzfeld thrives on meeting seemingly impossible challenges, what he once loved about working at Apple. He has a thick bronze medal given to him by the Mac team for cramming a seemingly impossible amount of function into a 64K read-only memory for holding the Mac project together in the stretch run. What comes together? Falls apart. At the Channel 48 studio, Hertzfeld sets up his Mac. He knows the programs he's going to demonstrate as well as they can be known. He can close his eyes and see precisely what they do to the hardware, beat by beat of the 68000's heart. Hertzfeld starts switcher for the interviewer. A camera close up brings viewers the first bit of dazzle. The icons of the four programs sharing memory form a rotating cube. This is the switcher metaphor. It's as though each application were running on one of the sides of a four-screen Macintosh. Clicking on the left arrow causes the Macintosh to rotate left, and the application on the front screen slides out of view, being replaced by the application that had been on the right. Four clicks rotate the cube completely, sliding the first program back into view. Hertzfeld smiles proudly. To get the sliding effect, he had to extend the quick-draw routines that control the Mac's graphics. Painstaking detail is what makes metaphors work. The same artistic touch and pride show in his demonstration of ThunderScan. The software controls a laser scanner loaded in place of a printer's ribbon cartridge as it captures an image of a picture wrapped around the platen. On the Mac's screen is a window into part of the image. He grabs the image with the mouse and throws it. Hidden parts of the image glide into view in response. It's an intuitive action for the user that is made possible only by Hertzfeld's cycle-by-cycle control of the machine. During the phone-in segment at the end of the program, disappointment clouds Hertzfeld's face. Each call is for the other guest. But calls keep coming after the show goes off the air, and people in the studio start to kid Hertzfeld when six, seven, eight calls in a row are for him. He smiles, ecstatic. The positive feedback he gets from Macintosh users makes all the hard work worthwhile. Hertzfeld relaxes on the set, now dim, with the computer show producer Steve Rosenthal, who admires the Mac's suitability for the common user, but criticizes its fitness as the only computer for a power user such as himself. Rosenthal sets forth the theory that open architecture was key to the Apple II's success that the Mac's closed-box appliance approach is holding back the machine, particularly in big businesses. You must have heard the story, Hertzfeld says. Jobs was dead set against the Apple II's having expansion slots. He lost that argument, thank God, but he didn't lose it on the Macintosh. The Lisa was supposed to be the expandable computer for business, Hertzfeld says. When the Lisa thing crumbled, the only way to go after that marketplace was to put the Macintosh up on stilts. The design decisions Hertzfeld made on the Macintosh project were intended to create the perfect computer for his 14-year-old brother. Of that, he believes, they did a fine job. But turning the Mac into an insanely great machine for big business seems nearly impossible. I think the whole office strategy is suicide for Apple. It can't win that game, Hertzfeld says. There was a time when he would have said Apple had a chance. When Hertzfeld worked there, taking a crack at the impossible was an everyday affair.